Welcome to Cornerstone. We're glad you've joined us. Today, we'll be hearing from a special guest speaker. Listen in and be encouraged as we spend some time in God's Word together. So very good to see you. My name is Eric, and it's an honor for me to stand before you as we open up God's Word together. You know, we're just about two weeks away from uh, Pastor Daniel uh, being uh, full-time right here in this stage, and let me tell you, nobody is more excited about that than your substitute preaching team. And so uh, those of us that are weekend warriors and just uh, kind of pretend to be preachers, we are excited about Daniel being here and cannot wait um, for that first Sunday just in a couple, couple of weeks. I know you're excited as well. This month, we have been um, going through a, a series uh, in the book of Genesis, and this really hasn't been a chapter-by-chapter chapter or verse-by-verse verse series. We've kind of been doing a, uh, an overview, kind of a 30,000-foot view, and really pulling out some different principles and promises of God that can apply to our life. And so today, I want to spend a little time um, looking at a story. It's one of my favorite stories, um, really, out of um, Genesis chapter 22. And um, it's a story out of the life of Abraham. In fact, this story will be pretty familiar to, to many of you here this morning, but um, what I want us to do is take a look at this story and really take a look and see how it points and paints a picture of what God is doing and ultimately His plan for salvation, as this story, I believe, points us right to the cross and points us right to the life of Jesus Christ. And so, um, as we begin this morning, if you would just go ahead and open up your Bibles, Genesis chapter 22, we're going to start verse 1, and then a good place to start. So, look at what it says here. It says, after these things, God tested Abraham. Now, um, I think it's always important when we get into kind of a, a section of Scripture that we understand the context of what's going on here. And so to understand what this verse is talking about, after these things, we have to ha understand what's going on here in Genesis. Now, in this story, this story is about Abraham, and Abraham really had kind of two names. He had his early name, which was Abram, and then a little later on, God changes it to Abraham. So you'll hear me use both of those names, but it's really just one, one person. But Abraham is introduced to us for the first time in Genesis um, chapter 12. And as Abram is introduced, he is called out by God. Now, what does that mean when he's called out by God? That means God called him to follow, to follow him. In other words, what he's doing, he's saying, hey, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's family. I want you to leave your community, you know, all your familiar surroundings. I want you to leave all that behind, and I want you to follow me. Follow me to a land that I will show you. And what God does is he leads Abram um, into the land of Canaan, or the promised land, as we call it in the Old Testament. And this is the same promised land that um, both Moses and Joshua led the Israelites to. This is the land that Abraham, who was their ancestor, this was the land that he was living in, and God called him to, um, to live in that land. And so at the same time as God calls him to follow him, he also makes a covenant or a promise to Abraham and, and to Sarah. And Daniel talked a little bit about this last week. But this covenant, and he said, Abram, you're going to be the father of a great nation. 
and a great nation will come from you. And of course, he's referring to not just the Israelites, but really to the nation of Israel. And so Abraham, uh, he takes his wife, Sarah, and they begin to follow God. I mean, God comes to him. He says, hey, I want you to move over here. And they follow him. And he says, hey, I want you to move over here. And they follow him over here. And during about a, a time period of about 25 years, they're living this life kind of as nomads as they move from place to place. And during this time, their faith grows. And it's really kind of a neat thing to watch. But it wasn't always easy, and they didn't always do things right. And this is one of the things that I love about the Bible, because these stories that God gives us, these are real people. They weren't perfect. I mean, they had fears. They had worries. At times, they had unbelief, just like many of us do. But Abraham and Sarah, they, they got into this pattern, this lifestyle of following and trusting in God. But at the same time, they were getting they were getting older. They were getting up there in age. But God reminded them about the covenant, about the promise that he had made to them. Remember that? He said, I'm keeping my promise that you, Abraham and Sarah, um, you are going to have a child. And do you remember what happened when God reminds them about this co covenant? Do you remember what Abraham and do you remember what Sarah does? They laughed, right? They laughed at God. And I mean, wouldn't you? Because at this time, Abraham is a hundred years old. Sarah is 90 years old. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 12, it describes Abraham and Sarah at this time. And the scripture actually says they were as good as dead. I mean, how would you like that on your medical report? Good as dead. But imagine this. I mean, you'd laugh too if God came to you and said, you know, at 100 and then 90 that, um, that you were going to have a child. It'd be kind of like uh, one day you get a phone call from your grandparents kind of late in life, and they said, guess what? We've got a little announcement to make. I mean, you'd laugh about that, wouldn't you? This is the same thing that the Abraham are doing when God reminds them about this promise and this covenant. You know, for them, they thought it's, it's too late. It's too, this will never happen. But you know what? They trusted in God, and sure enough, a year later after he reminds them about this covenant, they have a child. And his name is Isaac. You know what Isaac means? Laughter. And that's, that's, that's part of their story. And now I can only imagine how Abraham and, uh, Abraham and Sarah loved their one and only son Isaac. I mean, I imagine they treasured him because they had waited so long for him to arrive. And these are the things that happened, all right? This is what we're talking. This leads us up to Genesis chapter 22. I know it took us a little while to get there, but here we go. That's the first verse. These are the things that happened that's talked about here. And look, let's continue on. After these things, uh, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And I love that posture that Abraham takes because when God calls out to him, and of course, this comes from a life of following God, but he has this posture. When God calls him, he's ready to go. You know, he, he is ready to respond to whatever God wants him to do. And I wonder if this time when he calls him in Genesis chapter 2, I wonder if he's thinking, well, what is it this time, Lord? You know? Do you want us to try again? Maybe a little girl this time? You know, Abraham is ready to go with whatever God has for him, but, but this time it's a little bit more of a challenge. Look at what it says in verse 2. 
He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go into the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains which I shall tell you. Now, imagine Abraham in this moment and what must have been going on in his mind. I imagine he kept replaying this promise that God had told them. Did I really hear God correctly? Did he really say that, you know, through my son Isaac that this nation would be built? How could that be if at the same time he's telling me I need to sacrifice my son? And so Abraham was in this, in this place where, where he had so many questions. But, you know, after living a life of listening and following God, Abraham didn't hesitate. Look back in verse 3. It says, So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut down wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, that's important, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw a place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, throughout this story, you'll see um, Abraham displaying great faith. Uh, but imagine what Abraham had to go through in this three-day journey from the time that God calls him till he finds that place on Mount Moriah that God leads them to. Imagine what would have been going on in Abraham's mind. Imagine as he continues to wrestle um, with what he's heard from God. I imagine he thought, you know, did I hear God correctly? Is this really his plan for what I'm supposed to do with Isaac? You know, it, surely that God will, will intervene and, and stop. But notice a couple things here in this section. First, notice the trust and the obedience that Abraham displays in his relationship with God. In fact, the text says, early in the morning... Abraham got up. There was no hesitation. There was no question. Abraham had an assignment, and, and he got right after it. He followed God with no hesitation. But also look here in verse 5. Look at what he says. He says, I and the boy will go over there and worship. Now, you might not know this, but this is actually the first place in the Bible where the word worship is mentioned to us. You see, it's, it's Abraham in making this sacrifice. It was his um, ability to show his devotion and his worship to God. But there's something else here in verse 5 that I think that's so important to, to recognize. It, it also notice that he says here, he says, I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. You see, it's almost as if Abraham is... is kind of telling what he's thinking to his servants because he says, I and the boy, we're going to go over here and we're going to do this thing. And then we, Abraham and Isaac, are going to come back to you. And this isn't the only place that we get this insight on what Abraham is thinking because also in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, it talks about this same story. Take a look at it. It's going to be up on your screen for you. Verse 17, look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 11. By faith, Abraham, when tested, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice the one, uh, his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be 
reckoned. But look at verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You see, although the, uh, God had called Abraham to sacrifice his own son, uh, Abraham's thinking was that, okay, if God takes my son, I know he has the ability and the power to raise him from the dead. That's the kind of faith that, that Abraham has here. But look at what happens in verse 6. It says, And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand fire and the knife, and both of them went together. And Isaac said to his father Abraham, My father, he said, Here I am, son. Um, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Look at verse 8. Abraham said, God will provide for himself a lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they, uh, so they went, both of them, together. Now, pay attention to that little phrase there. We're going to come back to it. God will provide. We'll talk about that in just a couple of moments. But verse 9, look at what it says. And they came to a place where God had told him. Abraham built an altar and laid the wood in order. And bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now, as we read this story, it, it's easy to see the faith that Abraham has throughout this story. But oftentimes, I think we overlook also the faith that Isaac has in this moment because we don't read or hear about a struggle or big questions that Isaac has because I believe that Isaac... He had great faith and trust in his father, Abraham. Where did he get that? He got that from watching his parents live a life of faith. And so at some point along the way, I imagine, you know, these questions begin to rise up because you see it here in verse 7. Isaac says, hey, we have the wood, we have the fire, we have the knife. Where's the sacrifice, Dad? I think he asked that because he had seen his father sacrifice, make other sacrifices to God over the years. Now, let me pause for just a moment and remind each of us as, as parents, if you have a child or children of any age, whether they are little bitty or whether they are grown adults, one of the greatest things that you can do for your children is to allow them to witness your faith and your relationship with God. To allow them to experience your faith and the trust that you live out each and day, every day. Not just in the easy stuff, not in just those prayers that we do around mealtimes, but letting our kids in on the big things in life. When you're wrestling with decisions about maybe a job change or a difficult relationship, let them in when you're celebrating victories that you have at work. Or let them see you cry when you've lost somebody special. You see, if our kids don't ever have an opportunity to witness faith up close, how will they ever discover their own faith if they've never seen it in action? Now, recently... I was talking with a friend, and we were talking uh, about what it was like to, uh, to bring your kids to worship. 
And I remember, my kids are all big now, but I remember when our kids were little and I remember some of those wrestling matches that we had to kind of keep them quiet and keep them focused in on church. And I know there is this, there is a tendency that sometimes we think, well, it'd just be easier just to kind of send the kids away, send them to Bible class so that that way I can, I can focus on the message. But there's a challenge that comes within that because when it's a great thing to send your kids to class, but there's a problem if the only place they ever go when they come to church is in a classroom down the hallway. You see, because you can either take the time to train your kids when they, um, how to participate in worship and experience that together, or you can wrestle with them later on when they're teenagers when they don't want to come to church. And I know I might get in trouble saying that, but I say that out of experience. I was a youth pastor for about 20 years, and I can't tell you the number of times I've had that conversation with parents where, where they're wrestling with their teenage kids that, that no longer want to come to church. Why? Because they, they felt disconnected from the body. They didn't understand why this is important that we gather together each and every week and I know I've moved from preaching into meddling now, but if you'd like to learn a little bit more about there, there's a great book. It's called Parenting from the Pews. In fact, you'll see it up here. It's written by Robbie Castleman. It's a short little book. In fact, this book is um, written by a friend of our pastor, Daniels. And, and this is a great little book that talks about discovering the joy of, of worship, teaching that to your kids at a very, very young age. This is a book that Jenny and I read a long time ago, and we found it very helpful because it gave us a lot of tools of how to help our kids engage in worship, not just at church, but in life, and teaching them actually what that, that means. And so experiencing worship together with your kids is one part of faith development, but also letting them witness the daily rhythms of, of your life with God. Now, for me, I had just a great opportunity in my home because my parents were very intentional. Throughout my life, um, I watched them as they served and worked uh, within a church as, as volunteers. Um, I also watched my church as they would reach out to our neighbors and folks that they would lead them to Christ. One of the greatest memories that I have of, of my father, who's still living today, but one of the great things that I always watched him, as, as far back as I can remember, is that every single night, if I wanted to find my dad, I knew where he would be before, before bedtime. He'd be on the couch, Bible open, reading and meditating on God's Word. From the time I was a little kid until right now. I know that's where my father will be in the end of the day. And when I go to tell my father goodnight right now, we always end up talking about something that he's reading in the Bible. And so I love that, I love that example that he gave to me that, that just embedded in me a love for God's Word. Okay, so I've done enough meddling. Let's get back to the story because this is where it gets really good. Okay, back to verse 10. You ready? So then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from the heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he said, I'm here. He said, don't lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. 
Now, in this moment, look at the way that God provides. Verse 13, Abraham lifted his eyes up and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket of his, by his thorns. And Abraham went, and he took the ram and offered it as a burnt, uh, burnt offering instead of his son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Now look at how this story finishes out. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand uh, that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall uh, possess the gate of his enemies, and your offspring shall uh, all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned uh, to his young men, and uh, they arose and went to Beersheba, and Abraham lived in Beersheba. Now, uh, again, for most of us, this is a uh, pretty familiar story that maybe you've read along the way, maybe you've studied this a number of different times, but I think there's some key elements of this story that, um, that should not be overlooked. And, and so, as we read this story, what does this story remind you of? What does it remind you of? Jesus, that's right. It reminds me of the story of Jesus Christ. Now, sometimes I know that people have a difficult time connecting the Old Testament to the New Testament. But I believe as we read these stories, these stories actually paint a beautiful picture of what God's plan is for us. And that's exactly what happens in this. And I want to take a moment just to recognize how this story in Genesis chapter 22 uh, is pointing to God's plan of salvation. So the first thing that I want to share with you is that three times in the text it says God will provide, verse 8 and twice in verse 14. Now, one of the things that I've noticed in studying the Bible is that when God repeats himself, you need to pay attention. It's kind of like when you're back in school and the teacher says, okay, this is going to be on the test, and they'll even take time to write it on the board. You know that that's important. You need to remember that. That's kind of what God does here, is when he repeats himself multiple times, that should be a clue to us. Hey, pay attention to what's going on here, because this is important. And that's what he does here with this phrase. He says, God will provide. Look at what it says in verse 14. It said, so Abraham uh, call, uh, called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. Now, notice that when he's naming this place of what just happened, this, this, um, uh, this event that just took place, he says the Lord will provide, but he names it after it's already happened. You would think that he would say the Lord provided, but that's not what it says. Because there's something bigger going on here in this story. Because what Abraham is trying to remind us here is that God will provide. He's using future tense. He says, on this mountain, God will provide. Well, why is that a big deal? It's not a big deal until you, wear, until you take a, a look at where this takes place. Do you remember what it said earlier in Genesis 22? He told him to go to the Mount of 
Moriah. Anybody know where that is? You know why that's significant? <laughs> Mount Moriah is where Jerusalem is. And what happened in Jerusalem? A man named Jesus Christ. He sacrificed his life for each of us. And so this is really a, a prophetic story where where uh, this story of Abraham is projecting of what God is going to do in the future. And so he reminds us that God will provide it. But also notice here that in this story that you see they use this phrase again three different times, your only son. You see it in verse uh, 2, 8, and 12. But let me ask a question. Um, was, Isaac's, uh, was Isaac Abraham's only son? No, Abraham had, had many sons, actually. Um, was, was Isaac Abraham's firstborn son? No, his firstborn son was Ishmael. And so as you read this story and you see this phrase that continues to be used three times in Genesis 22 and also in Hebrews chapter 11, you've got to be thinking to yourself, what again, why, why is this phrase in there? This doesn't really fit with Abraham's family tree, but whose family tree does it fit into? That's right, that's right. God's only son. Again, this story is pointing us to what Jesus Christ will do on the cross. And finally, in this story, I believe that, that this story um, shows what God's ultimate plan is for salvation, and that is providing a substitution. God provides the sacrifice or the payment that must be made for our sins. You know, Romans chapter 3 says, for we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We all make mistakes. There's not anybody here that is perfect. If, if you haven't uh, uh, maybe come to church because you thought, boy, those people, are, they're all a little too good. They're all a little too perfect. Well, I hate to tell you, read the small print, you know, um, we are not perfect. We are not without sin. There's not one of us that are. Every one of us need um, God. And, and what is the plan for that salvation? Romans chapter 5, it says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That is that substitution that happens. That is that substitution of the sacrifice for our sins or the payment for our sins that Jesus Christ, he died on the cross. And the blood that was shed is the blood that covers each one of our lives and covers up those mistakes. And it covers it with God's grace so that we can stand before God not as imperfect people, not as sinners, but when God looks at us, when we, when we proclaim the name of Jesus, God sees people who are covered by His grace. So let me ask you, do you believe that today? Do you truly believe that Jesus Christ died for your mistakes, for your sins? The next question I have is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You know, this has been an amazing few weeks across our country. If you've paid attention to what's going on, a, a revival has, has broken out. It, it started on February 8th at a little uh, a college university in Kentucky, Asbury University. 
And they were finishing up a chapel service one night, and there was a group of students that stuck around, and they, they didn't quite get enough of, of worship that night. And so they kept on singing, and they kept on praising, and it went on and on late into the night. And people began to hear about it on campus, and people started coming back to the chapel and it began to fill up. And they stayed up all night just worshiping God. Well, guess what? It didn't end on February 9th. No, it continued on 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and just ended there in the chapel on February 25th. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people made the journey to Asbury to see what was going on, to see what God was doing. But it didn't just end there in Kentucky. It began to catch like fire across our country. And other colleges began to have revivals as, as well. In other cities, um, uh, uh, revivals began to break out. People came together to pray and to sing and to allow God to do amazing things. And it didn't just end uh, here in the United States. It, it went over into Puerto Rico. Uh, these are some pictures of Uganda in the Philippines. And over the last few weeks... Thousands and thousands of people have given their life to Christ. Praise God. You know, it's an amazing thing to watch how God moves within our lives when we have a little faith. So today we want to celebrate how God's, can, God's kingdom continues to grow. But I want you to know the most important revival that needs to take place that God cares about at this moment is the revival that takes place in each one of our hearts. God is looking to us to, to get excited about who He is and about what He's done for our lives. And you know what? As followers of Jesus, He expects us to help share that message with others. And so this morning, maybe you're here and Maybe you've been wrestling with God. Maybe you've had some questions about things that you've done in the past and you've, you've wondered, can God really forgive me? Can God really forgive me of the things that I've done? And, and in his, is His love and is His grace, is it really for me? Or is it just those church people? I've got good news. It's for all of us. Every single one of us, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, God's grace is there. And He desperately, desperately wants to have a relationship with you if you'd only invite Him in. This morning, if you're ready to take that next step, you don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to have Scripture memorized at this point. God is just looking for a heart that's open, that's ready to receive Him. He's asking you, come follow me. I'm ready to lead you promised land and that begins by saying yes to Jesus so right now I want to ask you just to to stand with me and I'm gonna I'm gonna pray over us for a moment and after that prayer Jeremy is going to continue on as we sing a song together but this morning I want to invite you if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life I want to ask that you maybe consider that maybe step out in faith allow us to walk that journey with you as we pray this prayer 
Maybe you're ready to invite Jesus into your life. We'd love to know about that. We'd love to to pray with you if there's something heavy on your heart. After this prayer, as we sing for a few moments, I'm going to be right here in the front. We've got some elders here in the room. You can raise your hand. We'd love to meet you right where you are because Jesus is waiting. He's waiting for you. Let's pray. Our Father God, as we come today, we celebrate the work that you've been doing throughout this nation and throughout our world. It's so exciting to see revival take place in the hearts of men and women who at one time were far away from you or maybe strayed from you. But Father, today they are saying that um, I want to come home. I want to be close to Jesus. Father, I'm guessing that there's some of us here today that are wondering, have I truly given my life to Jesus Christ? Today, I want revival to take place in my heart and in my life, and I'm ready to step out. I'm ready to to receive Jesus, and I want to put him on as Lord and Savior of my life. This morning, if we can walk that journey with you, we pray that you would allow us to do so as we sing together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for spending some time with us today. For further information about today's podcast or our church in general, please visit us at cornerstonecbc.org. That's cornerstonecbc.org. Thanks. See you next time.